Wait for it, wait for it, and we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans and one chaos coordinator geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, before we discuss the topic, we're going to let our guests in alphabetical order according to the word machine uh, introduce themselves. So I'm going to start with you, Miss Chloe Garner. Hi, I'm Chloe Garner. I write science fiction, fantasy, and all manner of speculative fiction. And I'm really excited to be talking steampunk tonight. Outstanding. And what about you, Mr. Isaac Kraft? Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Hello, I'm Isaac Kraft. I write science fiction and fantasy, and currently I'm writing young adult fiction. Uh, Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> Don't let him give you crap. It's great. No. <laughs> I didn't say the writing or the story wasn't great, but I'm told the, the audience could be hit or miss from the craft side. I, I've heard I've heard this uh, dog eat dog world over there. But hey, if you're happy with it, we're happy with it. And we're going to move on to Miss Jenna S. Brown, who sometimes cosplays as Jenna Ray or any number of unknown pseudonyms, which she graces the page with. Jenna, can you introduce yourself? Fantastic, yes. I am Janet S. Brown, also known as Jenna Ray Jadlin Asher, and <gasps> can't talk about that one. Anyway, um, I write oh, science fiction and fantasy under Jenna Ray um, and dabble with all sorts of steampunky goodness, so this is going to be fun. Oh, freaking standing. And next we got Mr. Jay Barnson. Hi, I'm Jay Barnson, uh, former life as video game developer. Now I've been uh, I've been writing for uh, quite a few years. My first published short story actually was a steampunk uh, short story, but I do speculative fiction, uh, mostly fantasy. So nice. Next we have Miss Jenna Wren of the Three <laughs> Ravens fame. Um, my name is Jenny Wren. I write science fiction, fantasy, steampunk. Um, wherever a fun story goes it's if it's fun story if it's fun characters i'm probably going to be there on the sidelines causing trouble um and steampunk is my love so i'm really excited to get past get into it and see what all we have to say nice and last but not least we have miss terry k joe of the voices the many many voices Oh, yes, 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 of course. Uh, I'm Terry K. Job, audiobook narrator and occasional writer of fantasy, a little bit of sci-fi, and definitely not steampunk, so I'm here for the lulls. <laughs> hey, nice. this is, these topics, you don't have to be a writer of the thing, just a lover of them. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, because obviously uh, we've talked about plenty of topics I don't write about, but I enjoy it, so we talk about it. All right. The next part of the introduction, dear listener, dear viewer, is how we first found them. We actually all met on uh, in an airship. We were in route to save the steam paladins from the clutches of the evil automatons. Keep a long story short, we won. They died. Moving on. Um, <clears throat> and we've also had everyone on the panel has been here before because we like our returning guests. So no religion questions today um, other than to, uh, to talk about... What drink do you think is the most steampunk? I'm still saying coffee works for steampunk. Tea. I, no, I got it. Go on. Tea has, has a, a power behind it. Yep. Yeah, right. I got to say tea. Mm, moonshine. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. I like it. I, I, I you, you, you think about the whole steampunk aesthetic, and you cannot tell me that three quarters of those engines are not running a still somewhere. 
<laughs> I, I mean, you, you look at the tubes and the wires and the, the dripping. There's moonshine there, man. But, ooh, how about this? Hot chocolate in one of those fancy tea cups. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm, I'm there. The tea cups, I'm man. There. Just the wall of tea cups that <laughs> has a real steampunk vibe to it. All right, all right. I could go with the hot chocolate. The tea, I guess, makes sense because you know the herbs and but bean water is sacred, and I'm gonna stand, I'm gonna die on that hill. <laughs> all right. Um, although now I think you talk about moonshine, and if you make the moonshine wrong, you could literally blind yourself because you know stuff gets in stuff, it's go, it's bad for you. So now every time I see someone with a monocle, I'm gonna think, hmm, moonshine incident. All right, <laughs> now we know what happened. No, that's when you know that they're the engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He I love the moonshine. It. it was not approved. All right. So uh, first we're going to talk about what is steampunk. Um, so I'm going to go with the, the standard for the podcast. We always revert back to the um, Wikipedia because it's sort of crowdsourced as an answer. It's not always perfect, but it's a good starting point. So steampunk is a subgenre of science fiction that incorporates retro futuristic technology and aesthetic and aesthetics inspired by, but not limited to 19th century industrial steam powered machinery. Uh, it works um, are the works of steampunk are often um, alternative an alternative history to the via Victorian era. Well, I can speak today, people alternative history for the Victorian era or the American wild west where steam power remains in mainstream use or in a fantasy world that similarly employs use of power by steam. That's a generic um, sort of explanation for it. Uh, it's basically neo-Victorian retrofuturisms, but uh, did, did that work for everyone or did you want to expand on it, add to it? I found myself wondering what an Asian steampunk would look like and just was completely <laughs> off at a rabbit hole the whole time. <laughs> That Go would on. be awesome. That is what that would be is awesomeness. And I, I could quibble over science fiction versus fantasy as well, because especially if you're relying upon, um, you know, now no longer, uh, you know, uh, uh, valid uh, uh, scientific principles of like the ether and stuff like that. Is that any different from doing, you know, fire, earth, air and water? And there's plenty of uh, steampunk stories out there involving fantasy elements from you know, mages and vampires and so forth. It is really hard to book it. I mean, I think Wiki kind of, they kind of got going off with the tea analogy. I mean, it's really kind of like watered down, simplified version. It's probably the hardest feel, the hardest feel or tone to really bucketize. Because yeah. you ask everybody what steampunk is and someone's everyone's going to give you a different answer. It's mm -hmm. the feel, it's the aesthetic, it's the tech, it's the the interactions of the characters i mean it's all going to be different so you ask anybody what steampunk and you're going to get a plethora of answers mm -hmm. which is I, kind of what makes it fun it is i mean it's it's it is i i think what you know said it's 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 a feel it's an aesthetic um and uh it's you know I've, i always looked at it as like it's fantasy set in kind of a victorian era-esque instead of good old you know fashioned uh, medieval, you know, Arthurian times or something like that. It's like, okay, let's just take the same, you know, spec fic fantasy or uh, whatever and, and, and move it forward a, a few hundred years. But yeah, for me, it is, it is that feel. It's that Jules Verne style, uh, polished wood, craftsmanship, brass, and of course, clockwork. Clockwork. It's a lot of it for me. 
H.G. Wells is another one. Yep. Well, and you and, expand that a lot of the Weird West stuff, that's steampunk US. Yes. And, and and as far as the timeline goes, it, it meshes because you can get your Victorian, you could get, what was it, Victorians, ninjas, and cowboys all at the same time if you look at the timeline just right. Mm -hmm. And Samurai. so you can get steampunk and you can draw it across cultures. So you get the Weird West. You do get, um, uh, there, there's anime that harkens back to that kind of aesthetic that pulls the Asian Ninja Turtles. Uh, what was that? I want to see steampunk Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah, That's that'd just be awesome for it. Yeah, steampunk superheroes. <laughs> you, but you got that with like the Rocketeer and things like that. You get the steampunk superheroes. So it, it is one of those genres where you can cross with lots of other things and it can dabble. Mm -hmm. And Isaac, you haven't said anything yet, so I think you should. Because <laughs> I'm mean. It's arguable that. Some of the Lovecraftian stories could be steampunk uh, within the same era, same time period. Uh, there have been some Word West that did play on uh, things with tentacles, things with uh, tentacles and unseen in dark pits and places. Uh, they won't tell you what it is, but you know. And then, and then, how how in the world are they going to con combat <gasps> stuff like that? In, in that age, and it usually winds up with something having to do with steam and gears, and uh, also the argument that maybe alchemy is something, uh, maybe in you know something similar, only in, instead of you know science, uh, you know only uh, how far can you push the boundary of science before it becomes something else? Mm -hmm. Well said. Well, and other thing is Victorian era seances were extremely popular as well. And that can be ripe material that I haven't seen so much of. But uh, I did want to comment for Jenna. I, I think uh, Rocketeer, that's that's probably more diesel punk, which is going to be a totally different podcast. Yeah, hey, it's like that's this. That's a thing, too? Yes. That is a thing. Oh, that's a thing. Sting and and Adam Punk. Adam Punk, Cyberpunk. Yeah. Put anything you want in front of punk, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, the number of punks terrify me because I cannot differentiate, and I know that about myself, and it's all just sort of this wild west of makeup technology and run with it, and I'm here for it, but yes. what word do I use? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Diesel punk is like sing punk's grittier oh. cousin that lives on the wrong side of the tracks. And, and, and it's all smudgy and stuff. Jay talked about the polished wood and all of that kind of stuff and the brass and whatever. Diesel punk's the other side of that, where it's gritty and it's oily and, and it's um, combustion engines and smoke and all those kind of neat things. But it, yeah. it's lots of fun. And it's mostly marketing terms anyway. It's all about, you know, what does your audience want? And then you call it that. Which is really weird, I, actually, because when you go ahead, Terry, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. I was going to veer off a little bit. Please go ahead. Well, you will find this is my soapbox. This is my gearbox. Not a soapbox. <laughs> the letter rip. Oh, <laughs> you heard that. I've been greenlit. <laughs> I am off the hook. No, but like that's one of the things about it that I think makes it so hard to like market steampunk because everybody hears Cyberpunk 2077. They hear Cyberpunk and steampunk and atompunk and dieselpunk and everyone goes, well, what the fire truck is any of this? What is it? Do we do we like it? Well, yes, we like it, but what do we like? So I think kind of like with the proclivity to like 
super subgenre oneself <laughs> as as it does. I think that makes it even harder to like market and even harder mm -hmm. to explain to people as we see as a genre. Go well, do you like diesel? Do you like steampunk? Well, yeah. Don't you? Well, I don't know. What the hell is it? Mm -hmm. So it, I almost think it's self defeating. Like the gears winding itself too tightly. <laughs> It turns into a, a writer thing to differentiate among ourselves and, and use an insider language like the different styles of fantasy where those terms are not helpful to a reader that isn't keeping up with the cutting edge of evolution of, of switching things in and out and making new genres. And yeah, to call it all just punk, I'm in, you know? <laughs> a lot of it has that same sort of... of solve the problem and save the 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 world or whatever the the stakes are and these intrepid people out solving these issues and and there's a lot of shared ground there that is the genre when you aren't looking at the specific technology involved but it's uh, usually weird technology it, it's bringing in a technology that we don't look at and go oh yeah that's totally normal mm -hmm. and and that's i think part of that fun with the aesthetic yeah. is it's, it is, technology is important to their solutions. It's very important to their solutions, but it's a different kind of technology. It's mm -hmm. it's, it's pushing yeah. the whole cyberpunk with jacking into the net and doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Steampunk with, you know, your your wings and your gears Dirgibles. and whatever. Dirgibles. It's, it's, it's important. Dirgibles, it, it, yeah, you see my, my little background here. That's my yes. my, my, <laughs> my booty guy. So, so yeah, the technology is important, but it, it isn't, it has to be a technology that isn't standard for us. Go ahead, Jay. Oh, I was listening to you. So whatever it was, I was, I was just, I, I think, I mean, I love mixing genres. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing. And so, you know, a lot of the, the genre stuff where it originated is, oh, if you like X, you might like Y. And so, you know, we just kind of go from there. For steampunk, it's like, oh, well, if you like, you know, this sort of flavor, Here's something similar. Um, and yeah, and it does mean that, you know, you have to get kind of to be into an enthusiast level before, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, gas lamp fantasy uh, and and uh, steampunk really make a difference. Well, so I looked that up. Oh, go ahead. Go. So I looked that up. Um, gas lamp fantasy, also called gas light fantasy, is was considered steampunk's magically inclined cousin. So that's where they would classify the fantasy side of steampunk. Uh, although most people that you talk to would probably just call it all the same thing. I'm not sure where that line is, but doing a quick Google search of the of the different concepts because looks like we have future episode ideas here with the Adam Punk and Piece of Punk. <laughs> oh, this is a rabbit hole with no end. No, but you know, for me, the, the big thing I look for is just kind of the little signature parts. You know, it's the it's you know, you, you do something with airships. I don't even I don't even care if it's steampunk or not. You've got airships and you've got, you know, that coolness. I'm I'm there. I'm I'm ready. You can call it Final Fantasy or Steampunk. I'm good. Or whatever uh, the the stuff Jim Butcher is doing, the Aeronauts Aeronauts Windless. Aeronauts yeah. Windless. I just got the second one. It's sitting in my TV red pile at the top because it's going to skip the line. Same here with the 
pink cover that yes. I just do not understand. I saw that one. What the dude are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I like, the interesting thing is, is covers in this genre really matter? Because you were saying, you know, everybody thinks that it's something different. And there's a lot of stuff that I pick up based on, does that cover look like the kind of adventure that I want to go on? Because in Steampunk, I'm expecting an adventure. I'm expecting that intrepid crew. And the covers are a big thing to me to be able to say, this is kind of my thing. And so when I saw the bright pink covers with the Aeronauts Winslow, I'm like, what are you doing? This is so off market from what you had before that had the dirigible. And it's like, you're, you're missing your target audience because we're looking for that artistic aesthetic that to us says, this is steampunk. This is this is the thing that I want. I'm looking yeah, at yeah, like Regency fantasy uh, <laughs> romance. <laughs> so Sorry. I, I've read one steampunk novel and because I was curious about the genre when I, for, for book review purposes. And unfortunately, the um, author's model was his spouse who he divorced. So he didn't have his cover model anymore. And they never finished the series. Is that a problem that uh, steampunk has that some other genres do? A lot of um, epic fantasy gets abandoned and never finished. And so people kind of leery about reading. Is that a problem you think in steampunk or is that just a one-off that I happen to find? Because it's a, definitely a trend in, in the epic side of fantasy world. When I first started writing, I really wanted to understand what steampunk was because it felt like it had a lot of technical aspects to it that would be right up my alley. And I found a book of short stories of steampunk that were dabbling in all of the eras and all of the types of steampunk running around all the way from some of the grimdark stuff out there that's steampunk up through the really lighthearted traipsing around in, in everybody wears gears on their hats. And they're just, they're, they're, they're charming little short stories and, and they don't require scope to be excellent steampunk where epic fantasy requires that big construction of scope. You can put scope into a steampunk and then abandon it because it didn't work out for you. But I'm not sure that I would call that a feature of the genre. Okay. Yeah, I think every genre has that where there's stuff that gets abandoned either because it's not making money or because the author decides to do something else or so I, I think you caught a one off. One of the weirdest ones that I ever read that did an aesthetically strange thing was Bone Shaker by Sherry Priest. Yes, I was just thinking yeah. that. It's, it's a great book, but yeah. the first editions they put out of it were cream paper with brown text. And I wanted to kill somebody because my old eyes, I picked it up and I'm like, oh, I can't no. read this. There, there's, it, it was very aesthetic. It felt very, very steampunky, but there wasn't enough contrast. And I made myself blind trying to read the first three chapters. And finally, I, I, I put it away and I sent it to the library and donated it because here was this book I desperately wanted to read, but they had made such a strange aesthetic choice there that I couldn't read the thing. And it was years before I went back to it. And it was a great story, yeah. but you lost me because brown text on cream paper, uh, the, that was it. My, my brain was Born just done. Over function. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of those. And I'm like, that was not a good steampunk choice. It, 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 it spoke steampunk. I opened it and at first it was like, this is really clever. And then I tried to read it and it was no longer clever. Now, now it was irritating. It might be good for a title page, but good grief. Yeah. Though the whole book. <clears throat> so um, you had a question, Isaac, you can um, just join the chat. You don't have to type on the sidebar. <laughs> Nobody can see those. 
<laughs> we're gonna make you talk, Isaac. We will. We will make you a talker. We will make you an extrovert by the time we're done with this podcast, or at least for the duration. Uh huh. Yeah, found out I'm a natural introvert. Uh, when, oh, when pressed, uh, not that I want to be, but still. Uh, yeah. Oh, earlier I was working on that. Yeah. Uh, earlier I was looking at online and. I was surprised when it was when online was saying uh, Sherlock Holmes could be steampunk because of uh, gadgets and goggles and magnifying glasses. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Qualify as how it's applied, how it's implemented. But there have been very steampunk implementations of Sherlock Holmes, and they're fun. Yep. Well, I just think of Hound of the Baskervilles. What was it with phosphorus that was mixed into the yes. furs, stuff like that? You know, so it's it's definitely got elements thereof. And yeah, I mean the 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 Robert Downey Jr. Uh, films were seemed you know had had a really strong feel there. So it could be done that way. It doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. So I definitely saw some steampunk aesthetics in some of the, the my son has been watching the last uh, Airbender series, the, the two versions yep, of it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it definitely had, because it's an earth element, like they used elements, earth, wind, whatever. Um, so there's definitely been some steampunk elements there. I don't know that I'd call it a steampunk story, but you definitely saw some of the, the steam powered gadgets were a thing. There were some there were some episodes that were more steampunky than others. Like I think yeah. they went to the one of the air temples. Yeah, that's the one and, I was thinking about too. Yeah, you had all those people that were making the flying machines and had everything steam powered, and they were horrified because they destroyed mosaics. Yeah, uh, but the historian yeah, some episodes had it more than this others. Fictional history piece too. So yeah. Well, and you got uh, pieces like um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen which had the Victorian, the steampunk, and the paranormal. Uh, Van Helsing uh, with, um, oh, crap, Wolverine. Now I've just lost his name. Hugh Jackman. Oh, uh, yeah, Hugh, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Thank you. This, this was not his best movie ever, but it did have that fun combination of that time period, the paranormal, and the, the very steampunky kind of the way they're doing research. Um, a lot of those have that that feeling, that, that call back to, you know, how does the Nautilus run? And that was Ooh. tremendously fun. Yeah. Well, Peter Jackson also had one called uh, Mortal Engines, which yes. uh, was mostly ignored. But that was, I'd call that pretty steampunk. Very. Yep, I would, for sure. Sometimes okay. I think it's an additional level of, of encouraged suspension of disbelief. Because you have to look at a machine, whether you're reading it, you know, and seeing it, or like watching and seeing it. And like Howl's Moving Castle, like not necessarily the book, but like the movie. Yeah. You look at it and you go, there's no way on this green earth those ships are going to fly with those little bitty propellers like spinning through <laughs> the wings. Like, but because it looks like it could, it mm -hmm. does. So it's like an additional suspension of disbelief with the tech, mm -hmm. which makes it cool. And I think that kind of plays to like people's gut a little bit. Like the kid that's like, yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to, you know, and that maybe is just what ties that steampunk feel to it going i know that does my adult says that doesn't work my inner kid oh. says f you it does <laughs> castle in the sky by miyazaki one of my yeah. favorite uh -huh. movies of all time and that would uh, definitely be mm -hmm. yeah so the other part you run into is when you've got the visual aesthetic so the manga the the anime the tvs the cartoons whatever like you've got the visual 
so you can sort of see the gears. You don't necessarily have to watch it work, but it gives the appearance of functionality. You're good. I think it gets a little more complicated when you do it in a literary form, when you're writing, like you're reading it in paragraphs, because now you have to describe things a little bit more to set the scene with words. And it's sometimes it's, you know, you got to work a little harder to fake the funk if you want to make the unbelievable believable. That's Definitely true. Um, I was just, you know, I, I know uh, Jenny's probably written more in steampunk than I have, but uh, I, I actually read uh, several books on it, just trying to pull out the, the, the. Uh, there's one called the Victorian Internet that was talking about how all the things that we think are, are modern actually had uh, equivalencies back in the era of, you know, with the uh, identity theft and fraud and weird stuff. There was a great, uh, I think it was by Cheever. It was called, oh shoot. She was a Morse code operator and she wrote kind of a romantic comedy that was hilarious with the two characters and they couldn't actually, you know, they're both, uh, 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 telegraph operators they couldn't talk to each other live they get too shy and they ended up like setting up like a, a line between where they were housing and you know they they were just tapping out messages because texting was a lot easier for them than talking um but it was great uh, it was fantastic stuff but i think a lot of it is just kind of going in and trying to to capture that uh just the the history the, the cool thing with steampunk for me is that it is something that is recent enough that the modern person uh, can relate to it. Uh, you know, they, they may not know what a telegraph, or they may not know the details of, you know, uh, telegraph or, or any of these other things, but they at least recognize that they feel it's, it's modern enough, that they, they feel comfortable with it. You don't have to go and explain all the, you know, much more elaborate stuff if you're talking about pre-Renaissance or dark age, you know, this culture. Uh, so, but however, it is removed enough from living memory that you can totally lie your ass off and, and people can buy it, you know, because uh, nobody knows how a telegraph, you know, except for a few specialists, how a telegraph office actually operated from day to day. They don't never have had to deliver that. And you can just start making up your own stuff. And then, of course, you're doing science fiction or fantasy and it's uh, you get to throw in your own your own mix in there. And it's really for me, it's just trying to. You know, I, I, I do making the list and what are the elements that I want to bring in. But, you know, you are absolutely right. It's a lot harder because you don't have that immediate visual that you can hang on. You almost have to, you know, convince your, your reader, yeah, this is steampunk. Uh, but you don't really have to. Just write a good story. But anyway, that's... One thing, one thing actually that I did, I kind of maybe, well, it's not cheated, but what I did was I went online and I ordered... Um, original copies of the scientific american magazines from the 1800s oh nice yeah like there's this website out there it's this absolutely heathenistic website where they sell books and magazines from the 1800s to be destroyed i'm like you all so you torture me and tell me this i oh believe me it tortures me all the time and then i'm like um i must go out and and rescue these books from the 1800s because this is the first source. So I have stacks of Scientific America, like the original copies of those magazines, newspapers from the 1800s. And it explains the new tech, new tech. It explains everything that was real. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't have to like 
invent the wheel because they already invented the wheel. I just have to adapt it. And Hillbilly tried to call me out on it and won. And, and the novel that he's got sitting in queue, he goes, well, this doesn't work. I said, bullshit, it does. Here it is. Boom, look. I said, April 27th, 1988. Boom, here it is. <laughs> 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 I love it. So, it, I mean, you don't often get to pull one over on Hillbilly. So when you do, you take it. But like... I tried to do that because I was like, okay, there's all this opportunity for tech and my brain can go any, you know, which way. But I was like, what was really there? Because as you said, Jay, if it's real, then people recognize it, but it's far enough away that you can, you can apply your hand waving and it becomes anything you want it to be, but there's a touch of real to it because it really existed. So yeah, I have a very large stack of those magazines that are um, in acid-proof paper. <laughs> Thank you well, for doing your part to save the words. Yeah. Yes, always. All the words. <laughs> it's the suspension of disbelief. If you get them with the setting, if you get them with the characters, if you get them with that kind of thing, then, I mean, space opera is the same way. There's a whole lot of hand waviam that goes on with, you know, what actually is a dilithium crystal. Nobody cares. You, you can do whatever you want with it because it's about the characters and it's about the journey. And you can do that with steampunk. And Firefly brings in some very steampunky aesthetic. Yes. And, yes. and I think about there, there's a scene where Kaylee's been shot and they've got to do things with the engines. And she's telling them, over there, do, do that switch and pull that thing. And not a one of us goes, engine shouldn't work that way. Because we're in the moment and they have to do this thing. And so, of course, you know, make Jane crawl up and do the engines and pull the switch and the thing. That's how it works. Because I bought it. I, I didn't care about, huh, the, the way an engine for a firefly spaceship works really shouldn't. No, no, no. Do do the thing, Jane. Do it. Yeah. So, Just pull the yeah. switch. Yes. Don't go into that suspension. And once I've got you with the characters, mm -hmm. then if I hand wave him the technology, they'll come with me. As yeah. long as it's not way out there. They'll come with me. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's another hack to it as a, a writing medium where you're developing that technology and you can build it step by step and put it in with the, the details of it without it being just excessive background world building where the way that Terry Pratchett's um, technology books go mm -hmm. where you're building a clax and, and all of the white and black panels and everybody's watching it. The details of how do you build this out become part of the plot rather than info dump to try to make it feel technical. And I think that that's a really successful path for steampunk and text. That's so why I until bad steampunk. <laughs> I was going to say, didn't H.G. Wells and he have what was it called? Cavitite or something like that it was like a lighter yeah, or anti-gravity, you know, uh -huh. uh, MacGuffin or, uh, <laughs> or, or uh, unobtainium uh, device to, to fly to the moon. Um, <laughs> I just say one of the things that actually got me with, with again, the first steampunk story I wrote, um, I had an issue because the editor was familiar enough with uh, telegrams and uh, I had punctuation in my telegraph messages because one of the key parts was uh, encrypted messages or encoded messages inside there. And she said, I thought that you didn't have punctuation in, in telegrams. You know, it's you use the word stop. And, uh, you know, I actually knew the whole you know, story there. I was like, well, that was because they had telegraph operators from the war where uh, they would use, um, you know, the word halt to mean stop. And they would use the period at the beginning and the end of the message to let them know that they got the full, um, uh, full orders uh, at wartime. I think it was during Civil War. And 
is where it started, but World War One especially. And uh, I said, but yeah, you look at American Morse code, we've got punctuation there. And she's like, well, okay, now you, now I know it, you know it, but the readers who have ever seen old old movies or something like that are going to think that that's wrong. And so we ended up having to rewrite the messages so they didn't have any punctuation in them, just so it wouldn't raise the hackles of the a few readers who who knew some but not enough, and uh, which is going to be most of them. So anyway, it was just again something that's not in living memory or it, it, you know or that part I guess is, but uh, where people can get tripped up over things that they don't know. Or they think they, 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 they know. know. <laughs> Anybody who's seen some of the grammatical edits uh, that people put in the comments of a book review, uh, and you look at them, I'm like, well, according to page blah, 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 the Chicago Manual of Style, you, sir, are an idiot. By the way, you're just an idiot. You used to be able to respond to comments on uh, on the Amazon's book uh, review section, and there were some interesting and hysterical back and forth. But then I guess people started spamming each other, and it got ugly, and they took away our fun. People on the internet behaved badly. <laughs> Shocking! So what, what Shocking! Punk equivalent of the internet? Would it be Morse code in the um, Telegraph? Uh, I would I would say so um, because in a lot of cases it was I mean they had like I said they had a yeah there's there's one called the there's a book uh, uh, nonfiction called the Victorian Internet and it was talking you know it talks about the high tech jobs you know laying the the first transatlantic cables um, okay. we had uh, fax machines in 1867 I think it was. Um, you know, so yeah, you, you could you you could see a future possibly if they weren't having to run over the same lines as the telegraph companies and telegram companies, you know, didn't want to have handwritten messages over their lines, so they made it prohibitively expensive to license it. But you could see a p potential past where fax machines and even you know sending you know uh, kind of digitized photographs uh, were 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 possible. Um, also, William Gibson, who wrote uh, Neuromancer, and uh, Bruce Sterling, they wrote one. It's not really, I, it's more alternate history, but there's one called The Difference Engine that the two of them yes. wrote. That was, you know, said, what if the computer revolution actually happened in the 1840s, I think, with Babbage's um, uh, computer, which they have now built for museums and proved that, yes, this computer could have worked. What if the computer revolution actually you know, started a good hundred years earlier. Um, and what what would that have done to things? I mean, that's that's definitely that's that's alt history more than uh, you know science fiction or fantasy. That could have happened. I'm thinking about you could do like um, classic era, like with uh, Leonardo da Vinci and some of his machines could have, if they had been built and made, they some of the the specs even say they are functional if you'd actually been able to build them could have fallen into that that steampunk sort of vibe given how they were made. Um, yeah. And then I'm just thinking you could also get steampunk in almost a Civil War setting because if you look at the mechanics of the Henley, which was one of the first um, civil, it was one of the first submarines, and there was a lot of steam and, and water power to it. So that, that could be some, some fun um, fertile ground to play with as well. No, we have to come up with a new punk for those, though. They have to be yes. like... It has to be a whole new kind of punk. I was going to say that's, but that's yeah, that's still colonies. 
Well, no, that's that's still in the Victorian era. Um, actually, uh, Tracy Hickman and Dan Willis did a book uh, where it was like, oh yeah, the Confederacy. It had like the was it, the Union had dragons and the Confederacy had the airships. And anyway, it was uh, uh, anyway that was I'm trying to remember the name of that series, but yeah, you know, counts. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to pause for a moment while I shamelessly show for the man and the woman behind this lovely novel. Are you searching for an epic new fantasy book to read? Well, look no further. Try out Spring for Spears, where the fate of the Wolf Riders falls on an outcast. Astrid would give anything to be one of the Ulfsark, the fearless warriors who ride giant Amarak wolves. Like her ancestors, she yearns for the soul-deep bond with the wolf, the connection the Union, a chance to prove her worth and honor her mother's legacy. Yet, she's never heard the wolf song. And with each passing year, it's likely she never will. Except, Astrid refuses to accept her fate. Then, an encounter with a nature spirit and a foreign princess dashes her last hope and changes everything. Will Astrid save a fragile peace and embrace her destiny? Or will her dreams of the wolf song fade to distant lands? Join Astrid and friends on a thrilling new fantasy adventure in A Spring for Spears, the first novel in the Wolf Song Saga, a series by best-selling, award-winning authors Katie Cross and Derek Allen Sidaway. We, we try not to be jealous and hate her too much, uh, Katie. She, she does her own audiobooks, and then she writes them crazy, designs her own websites, and like, basically out Amazon's Amazon. It's just not fair, really. But uh, thank you for sticking with us for that commercial interlude. We really appreciate you coming back as we get nerdy about uh, about steampunk. So, uh, Isaac, do you think there are any common themes in steampunk? Yes, I believe so. Uh, you already mentioned earlier about uh, airships as a common theme. Also, gears and... Uh, Steam powered. Uh, uh, the thing that I, one of the things that I've written uh, in one of the short stories for the Corner Scribblers uh, involved uh, a teleporter into the alternate dimensions. And uh, the source for how it was able to do this was through twin cylinders filled with water and uh, uh, wires and electricity. And uh, that's just one example. Uh, there's there's other things out there, uh, like a our our airships able to are able to float. But yes, I, I think uh, uh, there's there's a common theme that you're looking for with Seabuck. Okay. All right, does anybody else got want to jump into that, what they think common themes are? Oh, I'd say there's a, at least to me, a common theme of that really high intelligence. Like being able to use all those elements of steam and gears and these new technologies and put them together in new ways that solve whatever problem pops up in the story. Mm -hmm. So it's that aha type of thing. Clever triumphs over brute force. Yeah, exactly. In the steampunk universe, and okay. and someone who is working for their their own um, their own 
perspective and an individualist sort of a, a take on right and wrong is has the power to overcome a large institutional evil and and the the almost david and goliath sense of if you're right and you're willing to go for it you've got a very good chance of, of winning out in a steampunk universe well, and the mad scientist kind of gets to come out of the closet and be in the forefront instead mm -hmm. of being, yes, and we go to to the old wide mad scientist guy and we get something and then we go fight the monsters. He He's right there because steampunk mm -hmm. really plays to that aesthetic that lets the, the smart person, the experimental person, the person who's willing to go beyond the bounds of normal things um, and makes them the, the, the core of the story <coughs> instead of being the back part of the story. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have like the individualism, uh, you know, triumphing against the, the very static structure, uh, you know, and part of that I think is due to, you know, in real life, how we're uh, going away from the, the uh, agrarian economy where the landlords, the, the nobles owned everything to where the merchant class and so forth uh, uh, had, a, had a lot more strength. In it. And a lot of the, the stories kind of reflect that where, you know, as the one guy just kind of, or girl often, uh, you know, abandoning convention and the restrictions of society and carving their own path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it also seems, at least, it almost seems like where some stories focus on a single class trait. We've got clever, we've got brew strength, we've got, you know, all these different things, which is great. There is a, there's very much a place, there's very much a need for that. But I kind of feel like sometimes with like the steampunk, looking at that umbrella, it's it, you get to be both. You get to be like the scrappy kind of throw down. OK, we've got this thing we have to deal with. We have to fight. We have to go against the institution, you know, what have you. And we're going to do that intelligently, whether it is a guy or a chick or, you know, whoever they're they're it's not as siloed in those categories as it sometimes is in other maybe like middle of the bell curve science fiction fantasy. It's like, Oh, this chick's going to kick your ass and she's going to do it with something she scrapped together with whatever was out in her shed. You know, it, it kind of puts them together into one kind of synergistic whole. And of style. She, she's going to kick your ass style. with the thing and with style. Very true with some mad style. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the, the ladies' fashion in, in steampunk that I've seen involves corsets. So I'm I'm curious how she's moving and breathing at the same time. Do you know they're actually not that bad if they fit properly? Right. You're gonna get a corset lecture out of that with that that that's a big we could go down that rabbit hole for a long time, but a, yeah. A it's... good corset is better than modern uh, yes. <laughs> yes, it is also true. Uh, Having never worn one, I will take your, your word for it. I will smile and nod, and we will move on. <laughs> well, there's a difference between properly fit and not. That makes all the difference. <laughs> well, the, the popular media dis depicts them as, I can't breathe. It takes three people to lace them into it, and it, like, breaks their ribs and all that. So, I mean, for most men, that's all we know. So, um, But you can't picture steampunk without a guy with a monocle and gears on his hat and a woman in a corset. Like, they almost are, like, required for the aesthetic, visually. And of course, it's on the outside. Yes, because yep. that's Where how you it do it, right? It does not belong in the slightest. But. 
Of course, yeah, it's wear underwear. They, but... they were not supposed to be on the top, but that's, that's again, the aesthetic of it. Is, is... Yeah. <laughs> the iconography is indelibly marked for everybody. There's no overriding it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I want to believe that they wear them on the outside because <laughs> it just looks cool. So we're just going to go with it. I mean, it does. <laughs> Victorian well, era, but sexy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Without all the prudishness and ankles. Oh my. Yes. Oh. Well, and different fabrics because proper corsetry would have been made out of fabrics that they don't, when you look at the aesthetics, that's the wrong fabric. When we dress up and we do cosplay, the fabrics we're using for those exterior corsets, they're totally the wrong fabrics. The, the boning really, really. is not always correct. All of those kinds of things because now it's for the aesthetic. It's not actually for functionality. What? Are you what? telling me they didn't wear leather corsets? How dare you lie to us? No. <sighs> <sighs> leather doesn't breathe, man. <laughs> okay. So I have seen um, for men, aside from the monocles and the hat with the, with the gears, sometimes they wear the bolo, which is like the string tie. And sometimes they wear a lot like Jay's wearing, which is the bigger tie. Do you guys have a preference? Ascot. Yes, Scott. Cravat and ascot all the things. I've Every also got a bow tie with a gear on it. Well, that's nice. You have to show us uh, in pictures next time. Okay. Uh, yeah. What about you? You were saying, Chloe? Everything I learned about cravats, I learned from Gail Carriger. <laughs> she is so delightful. I mean, is there is um, there a better place? No, Search really me. Is. I don't know. I mean, the, okay. the, the little bolo ties, I, I always looked at those and, you know, my, my grandfather owned one and he says, you know why you don't wear these? Because it's way too easy for someone to grab those strings and push up till you can't breathe anymore. It's a and and that was that was the end of any of my characters who wanted to live wearing one because it's like, yeah, he's got a point. That That's a really good way to just garrot yourself. So oh, yeah. um, move right away from that. I heard that FBI agents wear clip-on ties. I might. Yeah. All law enforcement. All law enforcement were clip on. I wore one in the army, and if they asked, that was my reasoning. So I was more combat effective. Not that we ever went to combat in our dress uniform, but that was my justification anyway. No, you could have. They're they're class A's. They're formal class A's law enforcement. They're all clip ons for that reason. Interesting. Because strangling to death is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I like breathing. I'm pretty good at it. Been doing it for a while, so yeah, I, I get it. So we, we've talked about common themes. Um, what about tropes? Do you think there are tropes that work best in a, in a steampunk setting, or can you just use any of them? The self-rescuing damsel. Mm-hmm. Go on. Just the, 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 the girl who is up to her neck in trouble and stuck on her own and tied up and all in the trouble, and by the time anybody actually gets to her, she's armed and prepared. And okay. that's, that's just such a fun, because it's got that intrepid, find a tool and use it mentality that, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yes. Okay. What about everyone else? Any other tropes that you think work really well in steampunk? A lot of it, exploration, the, those forbidden frontiers and things like that. I mean, th- this is, again, the time of the American West, the time of the expansion. It, it's pulling off of those years 
where everybody was looking for what's over the next horizon and whether you're getting there by dirigible or how it is you're getting there, steampunk really embraces a lot of those themes of that next frontier in technology, that next frontier in alchemy, that next frontier in places we're going to go. It, it's that very intrepid spirit and, and always pushing that envelope. I think a lot of modern readers if they pay attention to the news, can relate to that now more than ever as we watch the next space race starting. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you see Elon Musk with SpaceX and Blue Origin and all those other companies that are in, from other countries because I think Russia, it Italy, uh, I think Japan is doing some stuff Damn. in space now. China is. So I think if you look at that, you can kind of grasp that the world is our oyster, what's next kind of feeling. Put more gears and, on the outside of those those ships and we're good. Just clunk them on, because then it would look cool. Hot yeah. glue stick and we're done. I would Perfect. say for, for a trope that I've seen, because I've watched some of the the movies, like um, Dust made a bunch of them, um, the, the YouTube channel, made a bunch of like the steampunk vibes uh, of their shorts. And the idea that um, with a big enough hammer, you can solve all problems, because when something doesn't work, just bang, bang on the um, like the pipes with a hammer, and suddenly everything starts working again. Sure. I tried because that with the didn't work. But aggressive maintenance, yes, that's what we'll call that trope. Uh, percussive. percussive, it's percussive that maintenance. Well, we'll take both. <laughs> so, does anybody else have other tropes that they think really, really shine in a steampunk um, aesthetic? Go, Isaac. I can see you thinking about it. There's a hidden weapon trope that mm. steampunk does really well with their daggers and their miniature swords and their poisons and, and all of these hidden uh, hidden weapons that become relevant over the course of the story. Okay. And Isaac, you had something to say. I can see. Uh, <coughs> thinking back to the, the third Back to the Future where with the Old West and, and Doc Brown does steampunk. Uh, okay, you're right. Everything runs on steam. Uh, you know, he makes a refrigerator uh, out of cast iron and steam. Uh, and he, he definitely replaces DeLorean with a with a train. Yes. So yeah, um, I would say it's definitely steampunk. Yeah. No gasoline, no plutonium. It's steam and magnets. Uh, All right, Chloe, make your checkoff reference. No, she said on the side chat that it's it's Chekhov stiletto. Steampunk uh, has a Chekhov stiletto, and I wanted to say it and didn't. You totally should have, because it's it's totally true. You have to have the stiletto show up in the first act and then use it in the third. Yep, yep. I was going to say, if you ever go back and watch the original Wild Wild West TV series, uh, that's definitely got the flavor and all the tropes. Except for maybe the 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 Victorian England uh, references, I guess so much. But yeah, that's a great one. Well, can you really put any trope off the table though, with how wide the steampunk net is? No, I mean seriously, it it's probably one of the most inclusive in terms of like tropes because it touches every other identified genre. Yeah, it's 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 more of kind of a setting. I mean, you can. Mm -hmm. You can say, yes, there's the aesthetic feel to it that makes it more or less steampunk to many readers. But really, it's, you know, you've got everything from steampunk horror 
to you know it could be you know we could do we could do star trek and steampunk easily mm-hmm. no it, it has tropes that it favors but it can swallow any of them <laughs> good 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 phrasing <laughs> okay so obviously you know we we kind of have an idea in our head and we've talked about the broad strokes of what is <clears throat> steampunk would you live in a steampunk world if you could <laughs> I like to think I'm smart. I don't know if I'm that smart. <laughs> I am blonde after all. <laughs> are we talking steampunk West? Are we talking steampunk England? Are we talking? Like- oh, England. Let you decide and then tell us about it. If I had to pick one to be in, it'd be England for sure. Wild West has never tickled my fancy as much as some others, steampunk or otherwise. So, England, 100%. Okay. Jenny? I'd give it a go. Especially if I could have, you know, like, daggers hidden everywhere. Give it a go. Okay. What about you, Jay? If you could live in any of the steampunk worlds, would you do it? Um, yeah, I mean, as, as addicted as I am to the modern world and, and addicted to uh, air conditioning, I'm sure I could figure out some way to, uh, you know, have automatons that, uh, you know, do the do the fans to keep me cool. So, I, I, I yeah, I think it, it's a very, op- it's a much more optimistic uh, worldview usually. Again, it can swallow any sort of tropes, but uh, it seems it's a, it's a fairly optimistic world with a lot of uh, potential dangers too, but I, I think it'd be fun. And so I've got, <laughs> I've got a perfect solution to your lack of air conditioning. Are you ready for this? I'm going to blow your mind. Airship. You're high enough in the air that it's a little bit cooler and you're moving so the wind is in your face. Boom. I'm a problem solver. <laughs> Sell me a ticket, man. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jenna? Would you or Jenny or Jenna? Would you? Would you I... We, we'd give it a shot. We'd definitely give it a shot because the, the idea of doing the whole airship pirate – I, I could get into that. I, I, I get ride around in, 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 a, in a ship and I get to attack people that I don't like and take their stuff. Bring it I, on. I, I see no bad here. I crew with you. Yeah. yeah see, G- gather my little crew of gals and you know we we putter around. What about yeah, you, Isaac? What about you, Isaac? You gonna you gonna go steampunk with us? We'll start a pirates band. <laughs> okay, but what's the catch? <laughs> there was a catch. I'm asking you if you would if you would live in a steampunk world. Uh, <coughs> probably. Sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> At least give it a three day try. There you <laughs> sure, sure. All right. What about you, Chloe? It's a little bit like asking Doc if he'd rather live in the old west or the eighties. And you like to think that you'd thrive there and you'd have a great time. But at the end of the day, I really like all of the modern convenience. And I'm going to go with the pragmatic answer, y'all. I kind of like it here and now a little bit better. Okay. So we've talked about some examples of steampunk. Have you guys seen the movie? I haven't read the, the series yet, but Shadow and Bone that they made uh, was a, of like they moved a couple of book series into one TV show. Would you uh-huh. count that as steampunk given some of the machines they used to fly around? Where uh, uh, steam powered, it appeared. I think if they had framed it differently, it would have yeah. been there. All of the, the 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 pieces were there, but the framing was 
a bit more of a, a, a frontier and 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 the the lack of resources and the struggle that goes into it rather than the building the boat that's going to fly across the giant black clouds all the bits were there but i'm not sure that that's how they put them together okay anybody else have opinions if you've seen that show it's it felt more like not earth so yeah it's it, which it's made secondary it, world fantasy really yes that which she said much but, better said than i said can secondary world fantasy also be steampunk I would argue yes. Gas Lamp. I mean, it could, oh. but I agree with Chloe that this one didn't. Okay. Gas Lamp, go on, Chloe. I would argue that this is Gas Lamp, where it has all of the technology and all of the advancement and all of the cultural structures of the Gas Lamp era of Victorian Europe. And it put it in a second world, and it, it gave it a whole new cultural background and a whole new narrative but the people there you recognize because they behave the way that people in a gas lamp universe should behave. So I, I would call it a slam dunk on gas lamp and it had some, some steampunk elements, but it, it's, it's squarely for me, a, a, a gas lamp fantasy. Mm -hmm. <coughs> okay. Well, we so Steampunk uh, is known for many of the, the the gadgets and the tech and the and the vibe. So, what is the one thing you like the most that you see in steampunk? And so, for instance, I like the the air power ships because I grew up wanting to be a rocketeer. Uh, I was very disappointed to find out those weren't real. Uh, so, for me, I always loved this, this the airships. But what about everyone else? Is there any one gadget or tech or thing from steampunk that speaks to you? <coughs> I'm with you. I'm with the airships. Clothes. I like the shoes and the hats and the the construction that goes into. Yes, the external corsets are a joke, but they're fun. They're pretty. They're fun, and they're so detailed and intricate and functional. And I, I like the clothes a lot. Okay. What about you, Isaac? I like the gear. Uh, the magnifying glasses, the goggles, uh, the even even when it's uh, Morse code, uh, all the the tech and uh, cutting edge stuff in a world that don't see that stuff yet. Okay. All right, Terry. I'm gonna be a little bit more specific on the like clothing gadget front. Those little like teacup and plate holders. I want one <laughs> and I don't even drink tea. <laughs> I just think they're cool looking and functional if you make them right. Okay. Does uh, Jenny, did you want to weigh in? <clears throat> yeah, I've got kind of a shock. I've got an off the wall answer because I like kind of, I like how the, the, the archeo no, the, um, not archaeology. Architecture. That. Yes. See, mm -hmm. you already speak, Jenny. This is amazing. So, <laughs> like, the architecture gives, like, this really comfortable kind of dark, gritty, but not dark kind of feel where you feel kind of comfortably closed in, but in a way that, like, you have total control over. And you've got, like, the, 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 
pipes and the beams and everything that you can construct. It's not brick. It's not a one and done. You can like reconstruct it. You can change and adapt as you grow as you need. And then when you pair that with like the transportation, like, oh, I'm sorry, I just got two dogs. Now I need to add two wheels on the back of my bike instead of the one. You can do it. So it's adaptable based on what you need. Plus, I got to agree, the corsets are badass. I'm just saying. I mean, you can't not say that. I tried to wear one and everyone pointed and laughed. So I'll leave it to the ladies. It wasn't fitted properly, was it? Yeah. Literally. Our corsets meant for men and they're very, very good for your back problems. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I make a no, joke. I'll toss one in there, serious. JR. Go on. Uh, weaponry. I adore the weaponry that comes out of steampunk because you have early prototypes for laser guns and plasma guns and, and who knows what else. I mean, lightning guns. You get cool things going on here and swords that come out of canes. And I mean, I, I love the weaponry and I love how creative it gets and you know, the and different the ways claw that, hands that come are, in and yes, <laughs> little claw hands. And there, there's just really awesome things that you can do with the weaponry that comes out of steampunk. If you want to see what creativity can happen in a steampunk setting, I will argue that the, the contraptions that they had in the Goonies that he was making would very yep. easily could work in steampunk because the way he was making them. It's true. And, and the claw hands made me think of that because, you know, he had all the his magic backpack with all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and slick shoes. Yes. And the truffle shuffle, but we'll move on. Um, <laughs> so who here has written steampunk? So Jenny, uh, I'm going to go around and everyone that's written, can you tell us a little bit about your steampunk and where people can find out what it's called? So that way, because I mean, we're, we're buttoned up against time, but those of you that have written it, it's a good, good chance to, to pimp it out. So Jenny, tell us about your steampunk. Well, he. <laughs> I've got one that's out. We've got a Corner Scribblers collection that's out that's steampunk that has like 10 of us in it. So that's out there on the Three Ravens. It's also out on Amazon. So if you want like a 90-minute read for steampunk, it's there. I've got one in it. Isaac does. My steampunk novel is still sitting in Hillbilly's queue. It's fabulous. Just love it because he keeps kicking it back to me and telling me it shouldn't be one book. It should be nine. And that makes me quiver <laughs> under my desk and suck my thumb and rock. That happens. Oh. But it's in there. Yes, it, it does. It makes me quiver and suck my thumb and rock. And he threatens to drag me out by my hair. And it's a thing. But I have a new world. Like, it's created a new world. So I've got, like, all the tech. And I've got the... My characters are like a, a combination of first responders and military because they, they literally lead the charge and they go out and I've created a toxic environment. I don't know why my brain just wrote that it was a toxic environment. Oh, it did. So I've got them going out on these adventures on the land and they've got, I've got pirates and I've got, um, they have respirators. And of course that creates its own set of problems that I get to play with and, you know, land cruisers and i've got them as their miners who collect of course then i get to open the whole world of all the the um the minerals and things out there that oh there isn't one i want i'm gonna make one because i can do that so it's sitting in queue and apparently i'm gonna have to fight him and figure out how to make one into nine so instead of rocking under your desk sucking your thumb what you clearly need is isaac to come partner with you because he's also written steampunk and you can co-write this mofo and then you don't have to stress out <laughs> have you met Hillbilly? He calls me and goes, hey, where's my novel? 
<laughs> I know, I know. All right, uh, Jay, you said you've written some steampunk. Can you tell us about it? Uh, well, it's actually several uh, steampunk short stories, uh, you know, kind of not all necessarily set in the same setting. So I've got, uh, yeah, it's different magazines and anthologies, and it's kind of a, a list, uh, about uh, eight or so. Um, but I've got a couple in the, uh, there's an anthology of Mormon steampunk that, uh, where I've got one that takes place at the, uh, Chicago Expo in 1892 or whatever. And, uh, because that was the introduction of the world's first Ferris wheel. And I had to have it culminate with a fist fight on top of that moving Ferris wheel, you know, on top of one of the cars, which could hold like a hundred people each. So it's just fun. Um, so anyway, uh, so yeah, short stories and, uh, yeah, Terra Mechanica, uh, uh I've got, a yeah, uh, several others, uh, story hack, uh, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> short stories, lots. I can't even remember where they all are. So wait, wait, Mormon steampunk is a thing too? It was actually, uh, there is like four volumes because, uh, in it and uh, it's won awards. Um, it, you know, you didn't have to be a Mormon to write it, but it was just steampunk involving because the, 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 uh, the Mormon church, LDS church also came about around the beginning of the Victorian era. And uh, they said, Hey, this sounds like uh, some interesting stuff. I'm sure there's, you know, Catholic steampunk and there's Indian steampunk and, Lots of others out there, so uh, you know that was uh, that was fun. But yeah, there's one. Uh, right, uh, Dave Butler had one where they kind of created a, a Frankenstein monster of Brigham Young that they fed his old uh, 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 talks into, and it would be automaton and and recite those back. And it was just bizarro stuff. Tons of fun. Mm -hmm. Color me intrigued. I'm gonna I'm gonna link that one in the show notes, dear listener, and the corn scribblers. Uh, I don't know why you would name a book about writing with corn stalks, but you know, whatever you do, you do. Um, and of course we will link to Jay Bardenson's um, website and his Amazon. So you can check out his stories there. Uh, anything that's available uh, there, you'll be able to find across all of his many publications. Chloe, have you written any steampunk? I haven't. It's very tempting and it's out there, but right now I have, re I, I've restrained myself to the gas lamp fantasy stuff. Okay. It, it will probably happen one of these days, but it isn't on my list today. I, I'm writing a fantasy series with, with James Ward that involved automatons, and it's not, it's like not steampunk, but by doing the research on all the, the brass automatons, because like Skyrim had a, or not, was it uh, Skyrim, I think, had a yeah, lot of Yeah, the Elder them? Scrolls. Yeah. yeah, the Elder Scrolls. And so it, it got me thinking, and I, I keep wanting to come back to, to playing with automatons, and what a better setting for that than steampunk, but... I have open contracts I have to finish before I start new stuff because publishers get really mad when you're late. So I, I feel your pain, Chloe. So Jenna, have you written any steampunk yet? I have two short stories that are on the hard drive and need to be edited and find a home for at some point, but they've been backburnered for like three years. So I enjoy reading the genre. I enjoy the aesthetics. I enjoy watching the shows. One day those will crawl to the top of the pile and I'll see if I can find a home for them. Nice. Isaac, I know you've written one. Tell me about the short story you wrote for the Corn Scribbling Three Ravens anthology. <laughs> uh, well, it's sort of like uh, it's the argument of 
it's sort of like superheroes, only it's steampunk. Uh, the character that I that I made, uh, he made a he made a machine like a backpack that can take him into alternate dimensions, and uh, it's 1800s, and it's uh, what makes it work is uh, cylinders and gears, and it's in a cast iron uh, body, and he winds up meeting the wrong guy who is the moderator of this one dimension and winds up getting it smashed and winds up in a cave and then he winds up meeting uh meeting the one guy who's able to help him who who has a beef with this moderator and uh that's that's when the the, the steampunk elements came in into life in that story because he helps him put it back together with the gears and uh and replacing the water which is not available with with uh making the atmosphere into a liquid uh but only native to that dimension uh enabling to, him to return to his home dimension uh but at a terrible price with the moderator's warning okay sounds interesting and we'll link to that that anthology so uh people can check it out Terry, I know that you're a baby author, so you don't have a lot out yet. So I'm going to guess no on the published. <coughs> but have you narrated any steampunk? Not really, no. Uh, everything I've done so far has been somewhere on the spectrum of fantasy, urban fantasy. Uh, I have an idea for a short story that I think would probably end up drifting into steampunk in one way or another, but it is still in the brain cooking stage. See, now I'm tempted to do another because we've got like four plan of the J.R. Henley Presents anthology series that, that Hillbilly convinced me to do. I don't know <laughs> that happened. Um, he, he got me talking about moonshine and talk, or, and and mead and he was going to send some. And before I knew it, I said yes. And he's like, oh, well, maybe the moonshine can come later. The mead can come later. I'm like, wait, wait, what did I just agree That's to? called getting Hillbilly. You got yeah. Hillbilly. There's a verb for this. So uh, <laughs> apparently, I need to uh, add uh, add steampunk to one of the future so <laughs> just to have a reason. Like, <laughs> all right. So said it out loud. There's no backing out now. Uh-uh. I can well, tell. I've had, I've had now we're gonna have asking... steampunk assault because um, there are others in Mills SF. So we could we could steampunk Mill SF. That'd be fun. Yeah, well, I, we've got. I've been asked to to plan a Coast Guard themed one, because um, you can have coasties in space, and I've actually got a story already done, so I could probably justify it because I'm not actually doing any extra work because my minions do the back end stuff. So maybe I can add steampunk to the end of the year. That'd be awesome. All right, I'm gonna talk to you, Hillbilly. You guys did it. It's all your fault. I'm gonna blame Chloe when the minions start complaining about my schedule being already full. Um, and uh, we'll just get like you know we could throw a little bit of Mormon steampunk in there just because why not? Because Jay wrote it, we can too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got definitely room to come back to with the gas lamp and the. Um, Diesel Punk and Adam Punk and all the punks. Although if we call it all the punks, they're going to think we're talking music. Um, and then we're going to be protesting something because that's what they used to do before punk became corporate. I don't know when that happened. Um, but we will come back for those. In the meantime, uh, we're going to go just sort of round robin. You can tell us all where we can find you. 
Uh, so we're going to start with you, Miss Terry J. Well, hold up. We're going to try that. Terry J. I can speak. <laughs> Words. How do they work? Uh, let's get Terry K. Joe, but most commonly found on the Facebook uh, and maybe somewhere else in the future. Ooh. Okay. Okay. And next we got Miss Jenny E. Wren, who is only on one place on the internet because she's been banned from all the rest. Can you tell us where that is? I have an Amazon author page for Jenny E. Wren and the rest of it, me not being there is because I want to keep everything working for everybody else because I respect everyone else too much to destroy them. Destroy <laughs> nice we, we appreciate your benevolence. Thank you. And John Connor's got nothing on me. If he had me, Skynet would have been a non-issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes you wonder, could you do a Rise of the Terminator in a steampunk setting? <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, you guys are bad for my calendar <laughs> and my sanity, but uh, or, oh, wait, Jay. Jaybarnson.com, uh, uh, Jay and also on the Amazon page. Probably, if you're if you're interested in the um, in the books, uh, also Rampant Coyote on Twitter is probably where I'm most active most of the time. Nice. We appreciate it. We will we will stalk you as you do. Uh, next, we have Miss Jenna S. Brown, sometimes known as Jenna Ray or Chuck Tingle or all the other <laughs> pseudonyms. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. To tell. It's a uh, I'm not telling you secrets anymore. My goodness. <laughs> you can find me at opalkingdompress.com or on Amazon or on Facebook under Jenna Ray or Jenna S. Brown or Jadalyn Asher or... <laughs> Uh, uh, we'll censor that. We'll censor that out. You're okay. All right. And I will link to all this, obviously, in the show notes. Mr. Isaac Kraft, can you tell listeners and viewers where they can find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Because I, I expect big things from you, sir. Uh, I've got Isaac Kraft Amazon author page, and I can be found on Facebook. All right. And he has all the other things. I'll link those, too, because I stalk him before, as you do in show prep. Uh, and you've got that's our goal for 2024 is uh, the three Ravens goal is to get him to talk more. So you can help us by encouraging conversation with him on his platforms. Uh, so just reach out, you know, tell him JR sent you. He'll love you forever. It, it's a thing, I'm sure. Um, last <laughs> but not least, we have the lovely Miss Chloe. Can you tell listeners and viewers where they can find you? Absolutely. You can find me at ChloeGarner.com for my personal thoughts on writing and what's going on. Um, I'm on Facebook, but if you want to find me on Facebook, the place to do it is my Facebook group, which I will make sure that JR has got the link to that in the show notes this time, because I am giving away Verita merchandise at the end of February to everybody who signs up for it on my Facebook group. So I've got a link to it on my website and we'll have a link to it here for, for this one as well. And come play. It's a good place. All right. And um, with that being said, uh, this is the time where I remind you to do your part to the writing community. Please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. And in those reviews, when you go to review the Corn Scribbler or the Mormon uh, anthology, make sure you tell them that JR and the Blasters of Blade sent you and uh, that you want volume whatever's next, because why not? I mean, you've got the platform. Speak, use your, use your voice, dear listener, dear viewer. And with that being said, 
you can find us on our link tree, linktr.ee, link tree slash blasters and blades podcast. Again, link tree slash blasters and blades podcast, where we link to all the things, the bit shoots, the rumbles, the YouTubes, the Twitters, the email for professional business purposes only at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find our Facebook group and our Facebook page. And most importantly, you can find Madam Stabby Stab on her Instagram, Twitter, and email where all the hate and discontent can go. She likes it when you send her hate mail. So do your part. And if you want to be really mean, tell her that pineapple goes on pizza. She will cry in Italian tears. I am sure. Um, and if Nick gets stabbed because of this, it's Isaac's fault because reasons. <laughs> and you can also find us on our website at anchor.fm slash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm slash blasters dash and dash blades. Where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. These episodes aren't free to produce, so we appreciate your patronage. If you want to support the show more directly, you can support us over at buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast, and I will promise I will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated. They will drink until the Java pours out of their eyeballs. And then we'll film it for science. Uh, speaking of science, if you want scientifically produced coffee, I don't know if there's, I mean, it's chemicals, right? It's got to be some science. But uh, we are an affiliate vendor for Coffee Brand Coffee, where we have all the things, the coffees, the teas, the hot cocos, uh, which we all know and love. Their hot cocoa, by the way, pairs very well with Jana's um, fudge. Uh, if you listen to one of our first episodes for the season, you'll see me a little bit on a sugar high. It was her fault. Uh, we blame Woo! I win. It was delicious. But uh, use the code podcastgrunts with the link below and you get 10% off. You save money. You help an American company. It's a win-win, people. Woo! And with that, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy and absent co-host, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go Boom. All right, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, and Isaac, we appreciate you coming to visit. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Boom. All right, wait.